Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Keep Well Friends, a mental health podcast. I am J.D. Holmquist, your host. Welcome! Uh, This is finally happening, and this is absolutely batshit crazy. I am very excited to be recording this right now. Um, Full disclosure, this is going to be the second time that we record this episode. I done goofed, and I did not back up my data, and then I spent a week at my grandma's essentially relaxing. So really, I'm going to let myself off the hook here and give myself a little bit of credit, because it was an amazing week. And we now get to record this after the fact, and we get to really reflect on how this trip actually helped me in the long run um, overcome my existential crisis that I had this summer. So my first guest is Brady Piper, who is also my partner. Brady, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Very much. How are you? I am well. How are you? Considering this is our second attempt um, at this, I'm doing well. Um, If you hear any weird doggy bark squeak, things thrown, toys, things crashing, dogs barking, um, we are recording this in the podcast room that we have set up. It's really just the downstairs of our house, but we are recording at home where podcasts will be recorded, so um, I'm good. Now, I can say that I am good. Um, The whole point of going into this was rooted in an assignment from my therapist. And I, she she wanted me to create um, goals. Like, what do you call those things? Um, Objectives? Nope. Oh, my goodness. It's goals. Nope. Uh, bucket list items. That's oh. what I was trying to say. Like, also known as a goal, I guess. Well, yeah, in and I'm trying to use the word bucket list because <laughs> that's what I'm, I don't know where. I'm not going to try to fake like I know where that is rooted in language. Um, but yeah, so she wanted me to create a bucket list of sorts to have things to look forward to, things positive that I could look forward to because I was kind of stuck in a gloom and doom in my brain which we'll explain later and then one of those things that i wanted that was me you overprotective bitey dog no she's not bitey um one of the objectives that i had set is i'm like you know i i had been over the summer talking about this whole existential crisis mental health whatever we want to call it um turning i've been posting on facebook all the time and on social media about like the nitty-gritty of what was happening to me and i wasn't fluffing it up to sound good and every single time that i was closing out um any of my posts i would say keep well friends and i had gone over that in my head like a thousand times what i wanted to sign off because it was never intended to be a thing it was just intended like it was almost a way for me to identify posts where I'm specifically discussing it rather than like an, any other generic post that I had. So keep well friends kind of just came from that. And in therapy, one of the things that we discussed, like I said, was coming up with um, these different goals. And I said, what about a podcast? And my therapist was super into the idea and thought that it would be a really good idea. And I wanted to turn those 
Facebook posts. <sighs> Break for LaCroix, not sponsored. Um, wanted to turn those posts into a tangible long-term project. And I thought like a podcast would be a really good idea because I don't want to edit video at all. Um, I briefly had a stint with YouTube videos uh, briefly before we met. I think I've forced you to watch them multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, and I hated the video editing process. I hate the video editing process and trying to find sound bites and like the correct thing to say and all the takes. And it's just, it's, blech. and I love the idea of a podcast because it's, it's an hour or so long. And in the forever lost first recording, we went on for an hour and a half. So this is really a blessing for you as well. The listeners, because we can pare our thoughts down quite more this time. Um, but uh, then the idea kind of took off and I posted about it on Facebook and people were really receptive to the idea of a podcast. And um, before you knew it, I had people that financially supported it to get this up and running and I will thank them at the end of the podcast. Um, that will for be forever producers. But my hope with this podcast is to introduce both myself and my story of what I went through this summer um, and how we we tackled it as a couple and the approaches that we took to it and whenever we have new episodes I don't know what that schedule is going to look like especially with the Delta variant uh, there might be a lot of remote podcast recording I might have some um, zoom interviews I don't know how many people we're going to be having over anytime soon um, with the Delta variant but um, when, when these go up, um, I want stories to be told from our friends and family and people in the community and politicians. And I say that lightly it, um, for anybody who knows me, it would take a broad stroke to have certain types of politicians inside, but like I'm talking friends of mine who are amazing human beings that have fought and won, um, elections in the state legislature and, um, getting real stories from real people about real issues that real people are dealing with because we all subscribe to these huge, big, well-known podcasts. I know whenever we get into your vehicle, it's something about court. Let's go to court. Let's not go sponsored. To, not let's go to court. We're always and should be sponsored. They, they sound, they should be sponsored. No, they shouldn't be. They should sponsor us. Yeah. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. Well, hopefully not in court or we don't go to court for the recording that. That would not be good. Um, but, And I'm convinced they sound like the My Favorite Murder podcast. They're the same people. I know they're not. They're similar. But their voices are exactly the same. You no, will not convince me other. No, that you will never convince me otherwise. Um, But like we get these big, huge, super popular podcasts that often most of the time are already established celebrities. So for the most part, uh, p mental health struggles are, are private a lot and we don't know a lot. Like you think of people like Robin Williams, like we don't we don't know that stuff is happening always in the background. And for me, I want stories of people that we so most people listening will not know like like the person down the street or you know a friend of mine from college or you know one of our mutual friends something like that where 
we get to talk about like something that they're passionate about or excited about or um, scares the crap out of them or something that's been really hard on them or makes them feel really good. Just I want to hear everyday stories because I found that in my Facebook posts, people were pouring into my messaging, uh, my messaging system. I don't have one of those. My DMs, is that what they're getting called these days? And essentially saying like, it's so nice to hear, like I'm going through, I've been um, you know, pacing for a week or I've been going through all of these things and I felt like I was the only person and I was going crazy. And I, people relate when real people in their lives talk about real things. And, um, that's why I didn't want to, um, is it called pigeonholing something when you, like when you make it about one thing? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You pigeonhole pigeonhole I didn't want this to be a, a downer podcast. Like I don't want this to be something that's like only mental health crises. Yes. We only discuss mental health crises, um, either during or shortly after, <laughs> um, especially during that's ultimately effective. But, uh, ultimately I want like this to just be about is like issues and things and experiencing life and, and these individual stories that make up all of our collective experience on earth, because whether or not I ever know about all of your stories, for example, in your life, like I, I obviously we, we know a lot about one another, but like, if I, if there's ever like a, a memory from childhood that I never get to know about, it's these little things that we get to put out into the universe and like, they still happened at a time I was alive, even if I wasn't there. And it makes it feel relatable. And it, it feels it's kind of like you get warm and fuzzies from I hope from this podcast a little bit because you hear somebody saying things that not only you relate to, but like, I'm not a wealthy celebrity sitting in, in my big house talking about how hard things are. Because while yes, you can be a celebrity and things are terrible. It's it's just like when they did that um, at the beginning of the pandemic, they all sang that song. Oh, I don't remember what it was like. We're all in this together. It wasn't the high school musical one because that's the first thing that came into my mind. But it, it wasn't that. I is it Imagine? Like John Lennon, whatever it was, uh, where all the celebrities were like, we're we're with you in this, and like they're in their giant condos and mansions in L.A. Like no one bought it. Like I'm pretty sure not even themselves. Um, I don't, I don't want that. Like, I, I want people to, to hear stories of people that are in the same economic situation. Like we're, we're not wealthy people. Well, you want things that are realistic. You want things that are, yes, hearing celebrities is great. And like, it can be inspirational, but it's also really great. And it's usually more inspirational to hear and relatable to hear someone who's the same, who's in your same status, quote unquote status. Right. To, hear what you're going through and be like oh like i'm not the only one that's doing this right now right and and especially for me and and that can um that kind of leads us right into the beginning of this entire topic is the the pandemic mm -hmm. um we have I, that's the i it's i don't even want to say the elephant in the room it's the elephant of the world right now um that we're currently going through another oops i just bumped the mic and i'm sure that that was heard um that you brought up the first time we recorded this because that's the easiest way that to refer to it but like the first time we recorded it you said that the pandemic is something that we're going to have to reckon with and no one wants to call it a traumatic event because in in my 
opinion. Um, I think it's hard to call something a traumatic event when it's still happening. Um, I mean, it's traumatic. Yes, I don't. I don't want to. It's hard to call it an event. Rather, I should say it's it's hard to call it an event because um, it's it's literally still happening. I mean, I know earlier this spring we had um, a glimmer of normalcy kind of come back with. Uh, the rates were relatively low. Delta wasn't really a thing yet. M most people who wanted to be vaccinated were readily available to get vaccines however they needed um, to get them. And things felt like it was getting back. And most of us knew that that was not going to be true. And now we're kind of back in a an upswing. And actually, currently, as of the day that we are recording this, uh, it is September 27th, um, we are both on house quarantine, sort of. Uh, we were possibly exposed. Um, actually, we had a confirmation test, so we were exposed, well, indirectly exposed to someone who's COVID positive. So we are waiting a few days to get tested. So that's a fun thing. And I am handling that situation very well compared to how I handled everything else earlier in the pandemic without okay. any level of, of doubt. But... Um, we we had we touched on this idea that it all kind of started for everyone last year when um we've been living in this house now for a year uh, just over a year actually more than just over a year it's may 2020 we moved in so we bought this house at the beginning of in may of 2020 well like we were only a couple months into the pandemic yeah. we were kind of at a point where we were pretty sure things were, weren't going to get that bad, and then things really took a turn for the worst. Um, and that's when I started to notice some of the bigger changes in my how I thought because I you because I worked from home, I didn't have to leave anywhere. Um, you would go to work every day because you work at a residential treatment facility, and so that's not a remote job. You're not working there from home so like it you became the only possible vector essentially of the disease to me because I wasn't leaving home and uh, at that point things were still pretty closed like uh, th like there were restaurants were still barely barely if at all open um, everything was still takeout and curbside and um, you you were logically the only person who could have introduced the virus to me and i i remember at times thinking how can he just go and come back without any concern for me like i remember it being in that headspace and that's the first i don't want to say sign because at the time i didn't think anything of it but like that was the first shift in my thinking during the pandemic was um turning my anxieties of everything back on people just existing around me and everybody and every human suddenly became a threat um literally a threat because we didn't i mean i i have some pre-existing conditions and i'm uh, relatively speaking healthy but i could definitely stand to lose some 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 chonko pounds but like i i had reason to be concerned because especially we we were seeing people my age and you're, I mean, we're fairly close. In, I'm not going to say fairly close in age. That makes it sound like we, we're four years apart. I'm four years older than you. Um, everybody says cradle rock. It's four years. 
It's four <laughs> years. <laughs> but like, it it completely shifted how I processed information because other, when I, I mean, at work prior to this, I was out of an office and I was only working from home out of my apartment for a short period of time before we moved and everything happened and we started the home buying process and whatnot. But as the year went on and we got closer to winter, I was really excited, like super excited about winter. I love winter to an unhealthy extent. Um, when everyone else is like screaming and throwing a fit about snowstorm, I'm like screaming like a little child. Like I know I'm not going to get a snow day by like not getting to go to school, but like I'm going to be outside. Like I love, I love winter. Um, there's a reason I live in Minnesota. It's a very important place for me to, to have my roots down. But um, I even noticed winter didn't feel the same. And the holidays didn't feel the same, not just because COVID and, and you know, everyone was um, by last winter, things started to get real bad. Um, they were they had just approved the vaccines and healthcare workers had just started getting vaccinated. And um, you got vaccinated in January, got my first dose in the middle of January and my second dose on like the third of February or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah, and whatever it was. I remember being super jealous mm -hmm. um i was not angry i was not mad at you i was so happy you got the vaccine but like for me it felt like you were vaccinated so you were safe so if you you know contracted it at work you'd be safe but you're bringing it home to me and now i'm left you know you might be asymptomatic and that would have been our first clue if you had got it in you know, to begin with, that was now out the window. And now we were just relying on if I felt sick at some point, or if, you know, you were told at work, if you had exposure, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, it's a, it's a, it's a terrifying feeling to feel completely out of control of a situation for me. That's something that I have learned extensively in this, in this process. But, um, I was then vaccinated March 5th. So it was about a month after you got your second dose that I got my first dose March 5th. And um, March or April? Me? Mm -hmm. March. Well, your I, second dose was in the beginning of April. Yes. My second dose was April 2nd because I got the Moderna. I'm team Dolly Parton. Um, I'm Pfizer daddy. You're, you're Fauci daddy. Fauci. Oh, is that what they're calling it mm -hmm. now? Oh. Or something, I don't know. Um, but uh, then once I was vaccinated, I was supposed to feel better. Um, just like when my mom got vaccinated back in, she's a, my mom's a frontline nurse, and she got vaccinated back, her first dose back in December, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling an immense amount of relief. I cried when my mom got her vaccine because I was mm -hmm. like, she's finally protected. But then I, I thought that my panic would go away. I thought, like, my anxiety would go away. But it didn't. And suddenly, I'm, like, I'm still freaking out. Like, I don't understand because I was worried about my mom. And then you got vaccinated. And, and other than the, the, the little bit of jealousy that I had, I was, like, why am I still freaking out? And I'm, like, oh, it's literally me. Like, I am, I am deathly afraid of dying. And I never, I never clicked. It never actually... 
I assumed that I grew up on a farm. I was around death all the time. Like I, 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 I had a narrative in my head for a very long time that I had that figured out and I was totally cool with all of it. Um, I did not ultimately. Well, I also think that, I mean, there's like he, I mean, one of the bigger things too, was that your, your dad had COVID like right in the beginning, stages. right in the beginning, like March, like beginning of March got beginning of middle of March, like never got tested for COVID. Cause that was still the early stages of you like, couldn't find testing yeah. anywhere. And it was all the symptoms. And I mean, it was, I still remember like you, we were at the apartment still. And like your dad called and you were talking to him and then all of a sudden like you came, you know, after you hung up the phone, like you were crying and you like, you know, you hugged me and then you were just like, I don't want to lose my dad. I think that's when like reality set in uh, for for me and I think for you, the, the fact that like, oh, this is close to home. It was no longer that thing super far in the distance that right. that could could happen, but hadn't happened yet. Like yeah. very early on. Uh, my family became one of the statistics that started. Yeah, and I think, too, I mean, you were heavily invested in posting, like, almost daily about, like, statistics, like, rights, like, all these things, and, like, trying to advocate for people to go, like, you know, mask up, like, wash your hands. Like, I think that took a huge toll, too, that, like, by the time, yeah, like, we got vaccinated, your mom got vaccinated, like, into the, like, into the rolling out of summer and, like, the start rule... Not the start, but, like, well, the start of, like, the significant mental health symptoms. And I guess I could probably tie a lot of kind of going into now the time when I would say the active panic started with all of this would would safely be around about a month after I received the vac- the second dose. So at the beginning of May, and that actually lines up pretty well. I never actually thought about it like that. Um, when I was supposed to feel safe, I was suddenly fully vaccinated and um, I was good to go, quote unquote, and, and I still didn't feel better. And I'm like, I'm literally protected. Well, to the extent that, you know, the vaccines can protect because we know that it's not perfect. So people out there who say that people who are vaccinated still get sick, it's possible. But that's not, that's for another podcast. Uh, I was supposed to feel better. It didn't make sense why I was still feeling super anxious. And for the better part of a year at that point, I was capped in positivity about the, the pandemic. Like you know, keep the faith we got, you know, the science is on the way, the, the vaccines are going to do this, you know, we're going to, we're going to get in, there is an end in sight, you know, we, we can make this happen, um, uh, you know, support those who get it and need help, you know, I was, I was just cheering everybody on, I mean, granted, in the middle of COVID, we had, we don't even need to go into the election, um, because that's, that could be, a, that could be, that will be, I'm sure, another podcast, but, um, in the middle of all of that, we dealt with that. And then we had the insurrection in January. So like everything felt nothing, or I should say nothing felt controllable in any aspect of my life. And I feel like that's when I started to, I couldn't internalize things anymore because you shouldn't ever, I mean, bottling your shit up is not a healthy thing to do in general, but like, but it's super common, uh, but like, it was so easy to do for a very long Mm -hmm. time. It was easy to pack that shit away and not ever have to think about it. And we even got to a point, you know, in the beginning of May, um, of this year where, 
um, essentially uh, like I said earlier, when uh, I was feeling good to go and everything was great, um, or I should have felt like everything was good to go and everything was great. And um, I, I had a doctor's appointment and I was, it was just supposed to be like my annual physical thing, just get to see my doctor, you know, check up on my meds and whatever. And at the same time, I was feeling comfortable enough to step away from therapy. Um, that was right about the exact same time I went and saw my doctor. I, um, I ended therapy because, you know, we weren't, it's not that we weren't making progress at that point. It's just like, I had been denying so many other facets of my mental health, thinking that, well, if there's nothing I can think about to talk about with my therapist, um, clearly I have graduated therapy and I'm good to go. (laughs) And it, I mean, there were, it was, there were things I weren't willing to talk about in therapy that I didn't want to talk about. Uh, and one of those was death. And I knew my therapist is, um, no, I know she's listening to this. Uh, she said she would. Uh, so nothing but high praises. No, she's, she's an incredible, I've been, um, in her care for basically two years now. Um, and like we, I think I trust her with anything I tell her, but there are, are certain things that it's like, even after two years, you still feel like you can't, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, they're going to judge me. Like, mm-hmm. like there's no one safe outside of my mind to tell these things to. And mm-hmm. I I got to a point where I'm like, well, if I'm not going to say those things and I really can't think of anything, we're just kind of chatting now. And it's not therapy or anything. And so I'm good to go. I don't need therapy or I don't need like I had hit a point where therapy was no longer. Well, you, I mean, you hit the point where you were like, I mean, yeah, you said like, oh, I think I've covered a lot. Like, we, I feel in a good spot. I'm doing really well. Like, my anxiety is really low. I don't, you know, I think I want to take a break. And it was like, okay, like, you do you, honey boo boo. Like, right. You know, and, you know, that was whenever that was. I can't even remember, but that I mean, it, it didn't it was, last long. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. It did not last long. And that's what kind of triggered the start of all of this um well not the start i'll call it like the active crisis mode um so i had gone to my regular doctor my primary care doctor uh in it was in the middle of may and one of the things that i have struggled with immensely over especially the last year and and moving from where i was to here is as allergies my allergies got worse and not necessarily They were very well managed with, I think I was on Claritin and some other stuff, but like my ears were clicking and I couldn't get over this ear click. And long story short, it turns out that I had um, eustachian tube dysfunction, which is a whole, I'll explain that in a second. Like we, one of the things that we wanted to try to tackle essentially, um, because my doctor said that my ears looked really good, was... Flonase, and it, it's a, it's a steroid. It's a corticosteroid that goes up into your nose, and it and it helps. I won't say billions of people. It helps millions of people fight their allergies really effectively. And for the first few weeks, it did amazing. Like mm-hmm. my ears weren't clicking as much. Um, my I wasn't sneezing all the time. I wasn't you know my eyes didn't hurt and itch and whatever. And but. Then I started to notice later in June or or later in May, early June that, and I I had at that time not made any connections to anything, but I started to notice a heightened sense of 
not paranoia, but like, I don't know how to describe it. It was an, it was like a, a, almost like a paranoid fear of the future. Like, and I couldn't put my finger on, on what I meant by that. And, and, and I didn't have a therapist anymore to bounce these things off of. And, um, I, I remember feeling like I was, I was trying, and I'm one of the things that had crossed my mind in the middle-ish, ish, early-ish, ish-ish of June was, was cannabis. And I'm, I use cannabis as one of the tools in my toolbox to combat, um, PTSD, panic, anxiety. Um, and it's a wonderful addition to, to the multitude of, of practices that I have in my life. And I, I couldn't advocate it for it enough, but I started to think, oh God, what if I'm, I had read, unfortunately, I had Googled and, and read somewhere that there's um, cannabis-induced psychosis, and it's not common, uh, but it, it, I, but it happened at one point to someone, so just like people who are attached to the vaccine causes, you know, bad things to happen, like, because this one person they know had a bad reaction, and so therefore it applies to everybody, I had unknowingly applied that myself, and I was just like, oh god, what if, what if I'm questioning reality and all of this stuff because of the, oh, oh god, and I started to panic because suddenly my one tool that essentially kept me off of Valium for years. I used to rely on Valium quite regularly um, in previous years to manage anxiety. Cannabis got rid of Valium from my life completely, which is wonderful. And I started to think like, oh shit, cannabis is causing all of this. So I started to panic over the fact that I didn't have Valium and I suddenly didn't know if I should use cannabis. And um, I remember being in... The V. I remember being in in um, the car, and I was. I don't remember what. I think I was driving to Walmart or Target or something to get, um, or pets. I don't wherever I was going to get worms for the toad that we have, Mordecai. And I remember thinking, "What is life? Like, what is being alive? Like, I." And I remember just thinking that, and I remember getting that flushed feeling from head to toe of like that rush of panic, and I didn't panic at that time, but I felt like I was about to, and um, after I got home from that visit, I had done a virtual appointment because the clicking in my ears had gotten worse, and so uh, I had gotten the appointment, and, and that the nurse practitioner on it had called me to verify some of my symptoms, and we had boiled it down to this eustachian tube dysfunction that I mentioned. And that's essentially the tube that goes between your ears and whatever else in your body that all connects inside your head. And it was essentially swollen and fluid wasn't moving correctly. And it was causing this clicking noises. And she's like, this nasal spray will help. It's a superpower antihistamine. And I want you to double up on your flow nasal. So I emailed my regular doctor and said, hey, I saw Virtuel, we're doing this. And he's like, okay, just, you know, let me, give me any updates. And I, uh, I started doubling up on the Flonays. And that was uh, like June 14th, I think was my appointment. And on the night of June 17th into the 18th, I, we were laying in bed. And I, I know that date just because I couldn't forget it. Um, we were in bed. You had gone to sleep because you fall asleep. 
He lies about that. This I, you could be mid sentence and go. I'm tired. Good night. Turn your head and you're snoring in two minutes. You sleep so quickly, and I'm. It's infuriating to somebody who has sleep issues. Uh, but you had you had fallen asleep, and we had the TV on, and I I remember falling asleep, and I didn't feel good falling asleep. Uh, I didn't know what it was. I just wasn't feeling good. I didn't know if it was, you know, Well, that was the night that you were talking about, like, you all of a sudden got anxious about money. Nope, 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 nope. That's coming. I, yep, this, this, this happened outside of that, even. Yeah, well. Sorry, I jumped the gun, people. Time traveler. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I'm magical. (laughs) And I remember I fell asleep, not feeling great, and I woke up. Um, in the, out of a dead sleep, I, I just sat straight up and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die someday. And as soon as I said that, I, I, it was like, it flipped a switch and it raised a veil that, uh, of, I'm, I've seen something that I, I can't unsee and, and like, I can never hide from the truth of mortality. And it was, it, it it hit me differently that night compared to in the past when I had thought about death, death to me had always been something that was super far in the distance. It it's that thing that'll never happen. Cause when you're a kid, you know, and you're like, I'm scared to die or like, I don't want my mommy and daddy to die. The first thing that any of the parents say is that's not going to happen for a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Giving me the pretense that no one ever dies. So like, <laughs> because, Oh, oh uh, sorry to the, that probably sounded great. Um, but it set up a pretense for me to not think about it. It was it was forever away. Things around me were dying, but that was their end timeline. Um, and so other than, I mean, I, I've even had, you know, in my family we have someone who has committed murder. And, like, I've, I've been around some traumatic death, too. Like, I've, I've been... It, it it never ever involved me like i never thought of it as applying to me because and i mean hindsight i've learned a lot about the ego um the human <laughs> ego but and not like pompous ego but like the human ego and um i suddenly started spiraling thinking about oh my god i am going to die like me as a person, the, this this person, this body, this this consciousness will someday go out, and I got obsessed with that thought. I and I was I, for the last year, we had been constantly surrounded by death of you know uh, family dying of COVID, friends catching COVID, hoping friends survived COVID, um, watching the number of the death toll go up, 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 up. You know, and 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 we live in the in the metro area of the Twin Cities, so it's not like we're exactly far away from from population density and um i never realized until that night that i had a genuine terror like a phobia of death like of actually confronting it and it wouldn't be for a couple i'd say like a week and a half to two weeks later getting near the fourth i had spent these the last two weeks prior to that like slowly bit by bit starting to panic and then one night we went out to the living room with the mattress from downstairs Mm -hmm. and we spent a few nights out there and 
I just needed to, what did I say? I just need to break through. Because in the past when I was in college, I'd, I would have panic attacks. Um, and you very, very much so graciously just, I remember you, we were in bed, like ready to go to sleep. And I said, we need to move out to the living room. And you just did it. And at that time, I just knew that that's what I needed to do. And, and so that's what we did. And, um, after I said, you know, I just need one really bad night and then I'll wake up and feel fine. Cause in the past, that's what would happen when I had panic attacks. What I didn't realize this time though, was, is there was no way out this time. Cause I, my body was physically telling me it was fed up with bottling shit I was literally exploding like my emotions were on fire and I can't imagine what that was like to see you know firsthand but you were the first person during this to be like do you want to go back into therapy and at this point I'd been out of therapy for like a month and a couple weeks like a month and a half at the most mm -hmm. and you brought up me getting back into therapy and I, I was like are you sure I thought I was done and I said that while pacing and not being able to sit down and, you know, recur, like, uh, not recursive thoughts, recursive thoughts. Nope. Um, recurring, like any obsessive, the anxiety loop, uh, it starts with an R. I should probably know this because I'm a mental health therapist, but I can't remember. Rumination. That's oh. what I was trying to, like when I was ruminating and I, I said that to be clarity. Just oh, clarity. yep, yep. Yes. That that was me. Thank you. Yes, thank you for the audio over. Um, <laughs> uh, but I had contacted. I I go personally use BetterHelp. That's how I see my therapist. It's worked really well for me because mm -hmm. I can meet, chat, and do all this stuff. Um, but I had reached out to them and I said, "Hey, I I need to get remar or remarried." Nope, I am not married to my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> couple ethical issues couple ethical there. issues there um i had to get repaired with my therapist i needed to get matched with her and they said well she's not seeing anybody new i'm like i know but when i ended therapy um i had said that i would like to be you know matched with them and i i spoke with them in an email here's the email that because i had reached out to her over email and i said i'm coming back i need to come back and and she was very willing to have me come back and um well before i mean you scheduled an appointment with a different therapist. Yeah, when I because I I originally scheduled it with a death specialist therapist, mm -hmm. like who is ultra focused on death and I was leading up to that appointment and I'm like I don't want to I don't want to retell all my shit. Like I don't want to rehash everything that I had been working on in therapy for 2 years with a whole new person, like that it wasn't an option and I also knew that like straight up talking about death panic also wasn't an option because it made me both me and my therapist uncomfortable because Weirdly enough, therapists are human who have lives outside of being a therapist. I'm a robot. You, I like, I like, I don't know why, it, like, that it took that to realize it. Like, other mm -hmm. people go through shit, and and that includes my therapist, and uh, and so I'm like, I need to go into this knowing that this is a topic both of us aren't really all that great at, um, and frame it in a way that's going to work because she's the best person equipped to help me in that, in, in that, um, situation. And, um, so we, we, we took it head on. And, uh, when we were probably a week into it, cause it was July 6th that I started, um, with the psychiatrist and my, my therapist had said, you know, have we can have you considered talking to a psychiatrist? Not from the therapy perspective, but just from a medication standpoint. Because 
my medical doctor is wonderful. I'm I'm forever grateful for his care, but I, I needed something um more I don't want to say intensive, but like somebody hyper focused on mood. You need a specialist. Yes, somebody who's like a they, that's their specialty kind of thing. That's what they and, do day in and day out. Right. And um, we went through another uh, telehealth service. Um, it was Mood. Not sponsored by any of these things. They're just what I happen to use. Um, Mood Health is a fairly new um, and setup that uh, I meet uh, telehealth-wise with um, a licensed uh, psychiatric nurse practitioner. And they can prescribe meds. And, and my... Um, psychiatric nurse i'm just gonna call it psychiatrist like i know that's not their official title but um my psychiatrist provider psychiatric whatever uh he's uh we met the same day that my therapist suggested it and and um we he was very upfront about the changes that i needed to make from a medical standpoint um and we went over everything and he um I signed all these things so that he could work with both my therapist and my medical doctor. So everyone was working together to make sure that I was on the right page. And we switched up my, um, uh, effects her to a higher dose. And we took me off of one of my meds that was for my blood pressure. And we put me on another one that was a beta blocker, which lowers my blood pressure, but it also acts on panic and anxiety, which I think is it called off label use, whatever my doctor uses it or they use it for. Um, and that's to, uh, it reduces the body's ability to like feel the physical effects of anxiety, like fight or flight or, uh, sweaty palms and the racing heart and all of that. And which at the point we started that it, by July, I was pacing for 18 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Um, I was sleeping kind of. At that point, I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning, and as soon as I woke up in the morning, I don't know if I woke you up often when I did, because I uh, I would get up and pace like a psychopath, and I I couldn't physically sit down long enough to do anything, but I never took PTO during this, because work gave me something to do. It was it was a time pass. If I was going to be pacing around for eight hours, I could do that holding my laptop, working remotely, um, and, and, you know, getting through all of this with, without needing to lose obligations and all of these things. And um, I was scared to change meds because that's a scary thing to do when you're in the middle of a, I mean, I won't say pardon my, my word. Like I, it was fucking awful. I like physically I was so tired, but I couldn't stop pacing and I couldn't sit down. And my thoughts were, um, I'm going to die. Um, oh my God, I'm going to die. Uh, what is it? What's going to happen when I die? Um, I, what, what am I doing with my life? Uh, all of these things. And my therapist wanted me to try to be more mindful and mindfulness at first was not something that even remotely crossed my mind um, at all because uh, mindfulness and I at that time were not friends. I could not think the idea of stopping and doing something intentionally that wasn't pacing physically sent me into a panic. And um, so she's like, let's 
let's try reading or something while you're pacing, you know, whatever. And so in, in what I'll call my free time between calls and emails and all the work I had to do, um, I started to read books and I have them in front of me. And one of the first ones that I read was actually already at home and I had seen it and I started reading it prior to a lot. It's called Calming the Emotional Storm by Sherry. I'm not going to say her last name. Sherry Van Dick. Dijik. No, I have no idea. D-I-J-K. Van Dyke? Dyke. Dyke. I don't know. Dick. I don't know. Whatever it is. This book has a million little tabs in it, and uh, it's a, it's basically DBT, which mm-hmm. um, it's not basically. It is DBT. It's using DBT skills, um, dialectal behavior therapy, because we were focusing on CBT in, therapy, in my therapy, um, but it's like a branch of CBT, if I'm correct. DBT it was created from CBT, yes. Like- okay. Yes. CBT is basically talk therapy with like some skills, processing. DBT is very skill and tangible. And that's what I needed. I needed I'm a I'm a process thinker and I'm somebody who needs things to work through in order to solve them. And that's what I was trying to I was trying to cure my anxiety by overthinking my anxiety. And suddenly in this book, little bit by little bit, it was making me do these little exercises of of mindfulness, as small as it was, whatever it was. Um and that was like the first time that I I felt like reading self-help books wasn't just a bunch of garbage. That like, I thought, you know, you hear of self-help people, you know, do all these things. And um, it was at that time that I started to open up more to you about what was going on in my head. And something that I had said that was really bothering me was that I couldn't even sit down and paint my nails. I mean, A, I had chewed them off and for anybody who doesn't know me i am now a like nail polish fiend um i own literally the entire hollow taco collection not sponsored in any way um i just that's basically the only company i buy from (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and but i love doing it because it's a really good thing for my anxiety because i can just sit down and do it and i lose track of time and i love painting my nails now and i do it all the time i actually do it daily um and I started, I was frustrated I couldn't even do that because it involved focusing on something that wasn't solving my anxiety in that moment. And I think that's when I really started to lean on you to simply understand Um, because I had, you know, psychiatry on this side working on the medicine stuff. I had psychology working on this side with uh, therapy. I had my medical doctor that was focusing on my physical health, uh, making sure that, you know, I was managing it. And I've met with, I meet with all of them, my therapist weekly, but like uh, my psychiatrist and my doctor, I meet with them monthly right now, essentially to keep me on on a path because I'm on, I am taking Valium now uh, in addition, just to keep me um, on the path downward. And I mean down in a good way, not in a bad way. Like I'm, I'm working my way back down to earth essentially from, from all of this. And what at that point, especially because of the pandemic and everything, um, you became a therapist outside of work and, and not in a therapist way. I wasn't, I don't want to make it sound like you were treating me mental health wise. Like you became a mental sounding board for me. I, I, I would ask you, um, 
can I be honest with you all the time? And one of the things that we were working on in therapy is disclosing, like getting to those things that I never wanted to talk about um, that I finally had set out in the open, you know, with my therapist. And then I said to you, and those are things that will likely never leave those spaces because <laughs> it's some deep, deep shit that you deal with in therapy. And I was finally like pulling that stuff out and I was I was dealing with it in real time and I was going through books left right and center I have uh, not audible um Kindle Unlimited like I like I read constantly I'm looking for self-help books and reading through and I love the ones that are like one is like unfuck your brain and like it and it was a science approach to mental health issues and I loved it but like I, I was going through roller coasters this summer you dealt with roller coasters this summer and and not like i was in control of those but like i would have three four or five good days um where i'm like wow my anxiety's gone like i finally did it like i finally overcame it and that was my big mistake was saying um was saying that i was done like i finally got over it because within days every single time that i did that I rebounded hard and I was pacing again and it wasn't until I started taking, you know, mindfulness and meditation and, and, and all of that, you know, really seriously and practicing it every day that I started to find relief, but I found the most relief in just telling you what was on my mind without any judgment. And it, it how was that to experience from your side, like from, from, essentially from when we started sleeping in the living room to today, like I, I can comfortably say that I'm not going and I, re, I very intentionally don't say I'm over it because it, it sets me up for failure. But like, I am in a very good place, um, 90 days out, uh, from the start of this. And I'm very happy with where I'm at. How was it for you to take it in from your perspective? And I don't want to say, what are your greatest tips on on getting through an existential crisis because we also have a relationship that i'm i'm very open in the sense that we are we are very good about communication um that's been something that we have done pretty well at from the beginning um being pretty i mean there's obviously stuff that we work on all the time but like it, it wasn't hard for me to shift into telling you things it was to just kind of do it once i could and then we took off from there but so like again what how did it feel being on the receiving end of this and I don't mean receiving like I was screaming at you 24 7 but like how was it on your side taking this in and what are some of the like tips and tricks that you have that you found worked with me um that might not be clinical in nature I don't like I said you're not here to be a therapist you're you're my partner in this but like what you found worked from your perspective and like things that you noticed um, and ways that people, if they, if they have a loved one or a partner going through something like this, what does it feel like? And how do you, how do you help them? How did you help me? I mean, I didn't, I mean, yes, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a trained mental health therapist and addictions therapist. I, I work in a residential treatment center. I see, I you know, I, I see anxiety, I see panic, I see, you know, a lot of this stuff on a daily basis. But for it, you know, you see, I see the cases of, you know, I think a lot of a lot of people see the cases of with their partners or friends of like, the the kind of like 
I'm going to panic for 20 minutes, half an hour, maybe an hour and like, or a day, like we kind of go through this and then it's like, okay, we work through it and we're, we're calmed down. Okay, cool. And I think, I mean, for me anyways, it was just a matter of, it was just a matter of listening. I mean, it's not a matter of, it wasn't me telling you what to do. It was, you would literally come and be like, is this okay? Am I doing this okay? Am I doing this right? And it was just a matter of like, there's no right or wrong. It was just validating. And it was, it was just reminding you that like, you're doing the best that you can in the moment. And like, I didn't have to say that. I didn't have to say like, oh no, you should probably be doing this differently. Like I could have, I could have been like, actually, I think you should probably do this. But like, that wasn't my place. And that wasn't like the process that you needed. It was a matter of just validating to say like, yeah, this is really scary. Like you would like pace back and forth and you'd be fine. And then all of a sudden like, you'd come out from the bedroom, like when you were doing your pacing in there and then you'd be almost in tears being like, I'm going to die. And it's like, and I'd be like, no, we're not going to die. We're, it's really hard though. It's really scary. And then it was, okay, well, it's just, this is going to end, right? This is going to end, right? And I was like, yep, I said, well, this will end eventually, right? It wasn't giving a specific time frame. It wasn't saying, yep, let's take five deep breaths and okay, we're good. And I think that was, I can't stress enough how bad of an idea it is if you're, if you are helping somebody with a mental health crisis to not, don't over promise on something that you have no I don't want to say right because that sounds bad, but like don't overpromise on something that you don't know that you can actually guarantee happens because people who are like, I could tell you that if you would have been like, yeah, and if, if you do this breathing exercise XYZ times a day, within a couple weeks, this is going to be done. I would have held you to it mm -hmm. because in that moment, you're providing a buoy. I'm, I'm clinging to that like mm -hmm. there was no other. And I think I was almost frustrated at times because you weren't giving me black and white i gotta readjust on this chair there we go um you weren't giving me black and white do this and this will happen you were giving me we got this this is not going to last forever you know this um this too shall pass kind of thing um so i i mean i get that's kind of almost the advice in and of itself was your your willingness to kind of not I don't want to say like you you did it without regard you were very very intentional with what you said and I in hindsight I could tell that you did but like I was going through self-help books like like water in a day and are you trying to sniff the microphone <laughs> we have a special guest we have on special guest uh, we have Haley the Chihuahua <laughs> um but I, I needed, my brain was craving an answer to this, how to make it end. It wasn't even necessarily, I don't think, an answer. I think you were just craving someone to tell you what to do. And it was telling, it was, it was, and it was me. Because, I mean, essentially it was like, you would be like, I would tell you something that in very vague, like, you know, very vague terms, like a therapist would, right? I mean, right. like, depending on the therapist, right? And you'd be like, that's what my therapist said. And I'd be like, mm-hmm, like... Yeah, you know, and then it would, you would be like, you, I mean, you were frustrated at times and it was just like, okay, like, and then you'd go and pace. And I, I finally was the one time I, I spoke up about something. I was like, Hey, can I, can I point something out to you that I've noticed? And you like, you like stopped dead in your tracks and you looked at me and you were like, it looked like I like killed your firstborn child. <laughs> it was like the panic on your face was just like, Oh my God. Like, 
like what's what is he going to say and it was you gravitated to the one corner in our room by the christmas cactus and where where we have a little like chest and and in the corner living room and you would just stand there for like a couple minutes at a time and then you'd go back and pace and then you'd go and stand for a couple minutes at a time and i pointed that out to you and you were like oh oh and then you started working from there more and like i moved my computer there like i i like i would stand on that it's not a chest uh uh armoire nope not an armoire in our living room it's it's like a cabinet chest cabinet chest thingy and uh it was at chest height when i put my laptop on top of it so i could work from it and um yeah i mean like i i i could i i found myself able to stand there long enough to work from my computer without having to hold my computer and Mm -hmm you observed something in a way that was not judgy. Um, I mean, it couldn't be. You were telling me that I was literally... Like, I I failed to recognize the small wins. Um, like, little tiny moments that, um, that actually I was doing... I don't want to say good work, but, like, I was doing the things that I was convinced were impossible to do. No, I mean, you would acknowledge them. I mean, you would, I mean, you would mention them to me. You would acknowledge it, but then... 30 seconds later you would be like blah 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 blah. here's here's 17 other reasons why that negates everything else and i'm gonna focus on all these other things and um i mean i think that i mean getting back to the original question at hand right i mean we can i can point things out to you all day long we can talk about it all day long but i think at the end of the day like it's it's a matter of just being supportive and being a pre- being present for the person and it's not judging them it's not shaming them for having an you know having a panic attack or anything and if you don't know how to deal with it it's that's okay like not many people do like and it's really scary in the moment like yes i'm trained but i also had moments of panic where i was just like I, the one moment that i'll talk you know that i'll just briefly mention was the night that you were like convinced that like this is the night this is really really a bad one like i gotta get through tonight and like tomorrow we're gonna be good and i was like okay like i like when you said that i latched onto that because i was like the end is near like i know like this is gonna end and it was i took my meds my, my night meds i was like okay it's bedtime like we're gonna go to bed and like we're gonna wake up and we're gonna be like thank god like this is over like we're gonna laugh about this in you know five weeks and you were like i, I you can't go to bed you can't go to bed. I need you to be awake for me. I need you to be awake with me. And I was like, okay. And then another, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes would go by and I, you were pacing and I was like, okay, I need to watch TikTok. I'm watching TV. And you'd be like, okay, I need to stay awake. I can't go to bed yet. And it was like two 30 in the morning. And yep. I worked the next, we both worked the next day and I was like fighting to keep my eyes awake. And um, you finally lay down and went to bed. And when we woke up and you were pacing right away and you're like, yep. this was, this was, that wasn't it. I don't know what's going on um but i think too i mean it's like that was a moment for me that it was just like i i don't know what to do like i also was like i don't i don't know how to do this anymore like i don't know what where's the where's the book that i can read right and i think that i mean it was just a matter of reminding myself like this is his thing and like i'm just gonna validate and it's gonna be okay like we'll eventually get through it and um you know i think and that's the thing there is no book on this I mean, there are lots of books on the topic of panic and and, uh, how to be a loving, supporting part. Like, there there are literally books, like, on this Mm -hmm. stuff. But it – even the the books that I've read, not a single one of them single-handedly 
fixed everything. Right. And and I noticed that right in the beginning. And, and in hindsight, it's more, but there was a book I read, um, Staring into the Sun, Overcoming the Terror of Death or something like that. And uh, the first time I read it, it was jarring because it, it's reading you know, these stories about overcoming the terror of death. And that's a terrifying thing to do when you're terrified of death. Mm-hmm. And when I got to the end of it, I'm like, oh my God, but I'm still scared. I don't understand. How come this book didn't fix it? It said it would help me overcome. The the concept of mental health being something that it takes time and practice. It's a it's an actual practice. Like you you can read all the books you want, but unless you're actually applying and I and to me, that was never it, it felt like it wasn't an option because it felt like an impossibility. Like you're meaning I have to do this for months. Like, and I, it was just, I was full of dread. There were days and I'll preface this, um, that I was at no point actively in any danger to myself. I was not suicidal, nor did I have any plans of suicide. Um, but I got to a point where I was so scared that that would be the only way out mm-hmm. of this. And I started to fear death in that respect being like oh my god i'm gonna die by suicide and and it was it wasn't rooted in fact because i i I know myself well enough that a i would never be able to and b if it got to that point you would definitely already know and i would be getting much more intensive treatment help like i but it never was at that point i was panicking over the thought that that's what was going to happen and I couldn't, and when your mind gets to a place where you're contemplating your own death by your own self because you think you're going to be so spiraled out of control that that's what's going to end up happening. Like, you're like, oh my God, this is how, this is how people end up killing. This is, this, when people say they don't understand what happened, like, and it, it was, it was this explosion of fear and i as i started reading more and more books and i went through um we i we uncovered so much just in a few months in therapy of some of my biggest fears in life and like the biggest traumas and the biggest mm-hmm. i have issues managing grief is something that came up uh grief is something i don't deal well with and that's directly tied with my inability to process death and and i can say that now you know we're an hour into the podcast so we're going to be the good podcasters that don't hold on for three hours um (laughs) um, i I can say now in hindsight of what i'll call the worst of this because i don't know what the future holds or whatever but for me the biggest help was having a partner that and you may have been judging what I was thinking or doing in your head, and that's your own whatever, but you you gave me fact, um, and it, that was rooted in grounding of like, when I, like you said, I would come out of the room and be like, I'm going to die. And you'd be like, nope, you're not going to die. You're okay. And I would just walk back and be like, what the fuck does he know? Like, you know, it was like, it, it helped because you forced me, You you weren't what is that called? Self con- um, uh, confirmatory bias, self confirming bias, whatever it was. Like you, I didn't. You weren't telling me what I wanted to hear. Essentially, that I was right and I knew what this was. Um, you were telling me everything was going to be fine when the world felt like it was on fire. And these books were giving me these little tools here and there of like things to say to yourself and like self affirmations and meditation and 
meditation and affirmations became my mantra. You called it the first time we recorded this, you called it like almost like a religion that I had taken on. Um, oh, don't you be giving me reminders. Um, uh, and the cat feeder goes off upstairs. Um, but it, it gave me a way to channel it. And, uh, I don't know how to word that. Like it's a, it's a very controlled form of dissociation. Um, as I understand in reading about it and such, because you are kind of forcing yourself to become a, an observer of what's happening right now, including yourself. And, at first, I thought it was a crock of shit, and my therapist is like, all I want you to do is lay down for five minutes, and I want you to take deep breaths, and I want you to count on your hands, and, you know, up and down your fingers, you know, and, and you'll get through it, and I'm like, I can't, because that means I'll have to stop physically pacing, and I did it, and I, I, ra like, I riled around counting my fingers for five minutes, and then I got up, and I was like, that was the worst thing ever. She's like, but you did it. Mm -hmm. Like, say what you want, you did the thing, and all it took was that little thing for me to suddenly be like, okay, I'm going to start doing this intentionally, but like, I can't sit down to do it. And she said, mindful, she's like, you don't have to be sitting. She's like, make, make meditation and mindfulness, whatever works for you. And I ended up finding this YouTube channel, um, great meditation. And it's just these pre-recorded five, 10, 15, 20, whatever you want, different topics, um, guided meditation. And there were ones where like, do this wherever you can, however you can do this, do this thing. And I was listening and I started to find that I was doing five minute ones and then five minutes didn't seem like enough. And then 10 minutes felt good. And then 15 minutes felt good. And that's the sweet spot I'm at right now is anywhere between five and 15 minutes of these sessions throughout the day. And it has fundamentally shifted how I process this. I have to do it almost now and not in a unhealthy have to do it way, but it's to me, meditation during the day is just as important as taking my meds throughout my day. Um, it, it brings me down. It keeps me centered, whatever I'm doing. I do it, especially, um, in the mornings when I'm feeling the most anxious, I'll do a quick five minute session just to kind of get myself in check. And then I go forward with the day. Um, that's what some from people who have read, um, this would be strictly mental health therapist, but, um, Mr. Yalom, the here and now, what's his first name? Cause I think uh... I read a book on from him. Uh, I don't, I want to say it's like Gregory, but it's not Gregory. It's like, um, I don't know. His book is at my office, uh, but, but yes, it, it, it forced me to not think about everything that was happening in the future. And I could hyper-focus on this moment and I could sort of observe my life from one step back and look at right now from a different perspective, quote unquote, but I, it, for me, it's just absolutely transformed how I, I practice it. And I've been ingrained it into my daily practice and I'm not walking around judging people anymore. And I don't mean that in a, Ooh, they're ugly or Ooh, they're hot or that it's like even the little things. Like if somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm not that fucking asshole. Like I, 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 I just tell myself I have absolutely no idea what's going on in that person's situation. I'm over it. Like I, it was just, I just moved on and I noticed that I'm feeling better because I'm not feeling as judged. Like when I'm out and about and doing things because I'm not doing it to others. And mm -hmm. it's when you're anxious, you are worried about a lot of things that are happening in other people's thoughts of you. 
um, I can tell you with great certainty that most people are never thinking about you. And that's not meant to sound mean. <laughs> like you're that's the reality. Yeah, you're not thought about as much as you think you are. And that's it's that's not a bad thing. And like and when I realized that I felt better because I'm like uh, obsessing over ideas and thoughts and whatever. Like obviously our like our ego thrives on this this not grandiosity idea but like it thrives on um throwing everything at you that it can possibly think of to throw you off your game it's not i i like ego is not um i lovingly refer to a playlist that i have that kind of keeps me in check as my fuck you amygdala um playlist <laughs> and i think I think I think we even changed it to like amygdala. You need to calm down because my therapist is like, well, your amygdala serves some purpose, so let's not completely write the organ off in your brain. But like, um, it's just little things like that that I started to do when I started to work on my gratitude and um, setting boundaries and saying no to things. And when I did this, when this podcast started to come together, I had talked to you about it and getting all of the pieces kind of put together for this has been. A project and that gave me something not only to look forward to but to work on and ultimately um i am in a i'm in a better place i mentally i'm feeling a lot more clear-headed i'm i'm as anxiety happens i kind of just take it for what it is and we spent a week up at my grandma's recently um as our week vacations off and we kind of checked off the grid and that was amazing and um I got to look through photo albums of my family and I got to take a bunch of photos of those photos. So I have them and it was nice to connect that way because it, it forced me to not talk about death, but like look at all these relatives of mine that are no longer around and just hear stories about them that are fun. And like, I have a different appreciation for, um, for life, for, uh, the day-to-day -day, the small things the good things letting things like water off a duck's back more often um and i think that's improved a lot of different parts of my life and i'm i, I don't know where this is going to go i don't know where this podcast is going to go um i don't know a lot of things and usually that would scare the crap out of me and i need to plan and this needs to be successful if this comes to a screeching halt and a failure <laughs> i had a couple episodes that did great like i mean like i have to start looking at things in that light um and especially uh, moving forward with maintaining this uh learning to accept that this is not a an acute thing. This is it's a lifelong journey to work on anxiety and stuff like this. Bec and while that originally terrified me, um, I'm in a much different thought process with it now. Where now I can kind of um, I embrace the unknown the and and be okay with things that are outside of my control. And like I even noticed when we had tornado warnings the other day, not here, um, they were nearby, but like. I, I was concerned, but in the past that would have sent me spiraling into anxiety, whereas I, I took the, you know, I don't have control over this. Let's use the tools that I've, I've been learning in, in all of this. And that's 
what I ultimately want to come through on these podcasts. And um, I, I want the people that come on, and I, I hope to have you back if you'd be willing to stop by. Um, and I'd love to, to share something exciting about you or your passion or what, like, I want to, we could talk about w- Wicked for an hour, but then I would have to watch it. Um, we'll, we'll go to, we'll go to New York and see it and then sure. talk about it. Sure. Um, uh, we can do that. Sure. We'll make that our topic. I mean, there's far more interesting things. I mean, Wicked's fantastic, but I know. Um, but I, I want, I'm excited where this is going to go. This is our, our, our kickoff episode and we are going on, we're like 10 minutes over an hour now, so I think we can wrap it up here. But, um, I'm excited to see where this goes. I have no idea what the future of this looks like. I'm very excited by the fact that I don't know because it means that it could be really great or it could suck and I could care less. And whatever happens, um, I, I tried. Um, and I know that this is going to be a lot of fun, especially with the people that I have booked to come on in the, in the coming weeks and and record. So um, special shout out to the people who financially supported us at the very beginning. I won't say us because I don't want you to think that you have to be here every week. <laughs> I'll be the audio engineer. You'll be the audio engineer. You'll hit record and stop for us. Yep. Perfect. Um, but these are individuals that when I reached out on Facebook, I said, Hey, my, and this is, you're hearing this for the first time. This is going live on my 33rd birthday. So happy birthday to me in a week and a half. Um, but you're hearing this on my birthday. So I'm going to say happy birthday to myself right now. I will be the ripe old age of 33. Um, and, and yeah, so I reached out for donations for my birthday and, um, to get this podcast off the ground and, huge thank you shout out to the permanent producers that will always have um credits on this podcast uh you know exactly who you are uh this is gonna sound weird to just read these names off but this is who they are it's ryan rose sarah don sophia caitlin rachel alexa valerie emily john judy shannon meg and natasha thank you all so much for donating the money that allowed me to get this equipment and get this off the ground um and get going thank you brady for not only sitting through one recording of this but two um because my dumbass didn't hit save hey you said i can't talk negative about myself you can't talk about negative okay so um a very inconvenient moment where i happened to completely forget to save which is totally cool with me because we got to talk about this again there i reframed it for you Thank you. You're welcome. Um, thank you for coming on. Thank you for chatting. I, um, I'm i excited about this. I hope you're excited about this as much as I am in some capacity, just because we have no idea what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, I you can expect the next episode to be up in a few weeks. Again, like I said, kind of until uh, COVID is a little more constrained, we're going to have to kind of work with and roll the punches on how we have guests recording. There'll be a, a couple of Zoom episodes, but um, I should. It's worth noting that um, these will be up on on um, Spotify and Apple Podcasts in the coming weeks. Right now, we are going to be kicking off with YouTube. Um, there shouldn't be any ads or anything on this. I hope, but uh, right now, that's the quickest way to get audio samples, um, so that I can send audio samples in and get everything rolling on those streaming platforms so 
Um, thank all of you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to hear me out on this first shot and a second shot for us, but um, for hearing me out. And I am very much looking forward to this. And until next time, keep well, friends. Thank you very much.